0: Hey, what's going on? It's Chris Carino. This is the Voice of the Nets podcast. We're uh, thick into the NBA season right now. The college basketball season is just getting underway. And, you know, Brooklyn is such a hotbed. Barclays Center has become a hotbed for college basketball. Coming up as we record this, the week we're recording this, the Legends Classic is coming in to Barclays Center and the Legends Classic is gonna feature Pitt against Michigan and we know what a huge following Michigan has in the uh, tri-state area. So that should be a great environment. You know, I did, a, did the NCAA tournament when it was at Barclays Center for Westwood One and I remember doing the four games in one day. Hardest thing I ever do. And the, the fourth game was Michigan-Notre Dame. And the game prior to that was Stephen F. Austin against West Virginia. And if you know anything about those two schools, they, you know, West Virginia with, with Bobby Huggins going up against Stephen F. Austin, which had coach Brad Underwood, who's now at Illinois at the time. Brad Underwood had learned his, you know, craft. He had, he had been an assistant under Huggins. And they play that same style, you know, just constant pressure, up and down the floor. And that was the third game of the day. And Stephen F. Austin, which were a big underdog that day, they were they were right in it and they were winning. And the crowd was filing in for Notre Dame, Michigan. And the place was absolutely jammed. And of course, when there's an upset brewing, the neutral crowd, they start going nuts for the underdog. So you've got all the, the Michigan fans that are there and the Notre Dame fans are there going nuts on every Stephen F. Austin bucket. And it was an electric atmosphere that day. I, I don't know how my voice got through it, but it was, it, was, it was something I'll never forget. So seeing Michigan, I'm sure they're going to pack Barclays Center their matchup against Pitt. And Pitt has a lot of fans in this area, too. I didn't realize that until uh down in central New Jersey and I got uh, people that went to Pitt down here. So that should be really exciting. And then the other game in the Legends Classic features uh out of the Atlantic 10, BCU going up against Arizona State. And Arizona State is coached by the iconic Bobby Hurley. You know him from his days at Duke. But before that, played for his dad, Bob Hurley Sr., a legendary coach in a legendary program at St. Anthony's of Jersey City. Um, a book recommendation, if you want to know about that program and Bob Hurley, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, before he was dropping Woj Bombs in the NBA, wrote a book called The Miracle of St. Anthony's. And it chronicles the career of Bob Hurley Sr. and uh, that school, which is no longer uh, around in Jersey City. But it's a great read. Terrific read. I highly recommend it for any basketball fans out there. And of course, Jersey City on the map last year in the NCAA tournament and what St. Peter's did in getting there. So we're going to talk to Bobby about uh, our, our guest here today is the head coach of Arizona State, Bobby Hurley. And we'll talk a little bit about Jersey City and basketball in this area. Um, Bobby has a fascinating story. You know, he's that Duke team and even Bobby, very polarizing teams and a polarizing player in Bobby Hurley. I mean, think there are, there are people that absolutely love that team, loved him. And when you have that intensity, there are people going to be on the other side of it, right? Uh, Bobby and I are going to talk about social media a little bit and, and how it's changed the way uh, these players interact in college and things like that. Can you imagine, you know, having Twitter around when that Duke team was at its height, you know, with, with Bobby Hurley and Christian Leitner and Grant Hill? Like Twitter can be a scary place now. Imagine with with that group. Because that was a group where you came down on one side or the other. But they gave us some incredible basketball over the years. So I really, there were were a number of things I wanted to talk to Bobby Hurley about. And we get into mostly all of them. You know, he was, played for his dad, as we mentioned. Went on to Duke and Mike Krzyzewski. Played against the Dream Team as a college selector player when they were getting ready and there's a folklore about a a famous scrimmage that they had and he'll talk about that and then he's the sixth pick overall to the sacramento kings in 1993 and 19 games in has a car accident where i mean horrific is probably not the right word the broken bones and just knowing whether or not he was going to live or walk again. I mean, it was just, to go through that, I wanted to get his perspective on, on going through that, um, how it affected his NBA dreams, how it eventually would lead to his perspective on life and his family, and then his perspective on, on coaching and how he got into coaching, and then a little bit about his Arizona State team. But it was definitely uh, an interesting perspective that he has, and, and we'll get into that. You know, there, I, I, a lot of times I give a a movie recommendation or something, or something to listen to at the end. I'll, I'll give it to you now because I want to set it up with the interview because I think it relates to it. I saw this movie recently that I had been waiting to see for a while. It was nominated for Best Picture about a year ago. And it's called The Sound of Metal. And it's about this guy who's a heavy metal drummer and he starts to lose his hearing. And then you discover that he's a recovering addict. And then there's that battle of how do I. Uh, you're going through this life event and and how I could stop it from spiraling out of control. And what happens is you're faced with something that's going to change your life and you rebel against it a little bit. But in the end, it reveals something about your character and about your makeup as a person and, and you may have to now live life differently and you're going to rebel against that and you're going to fight against that. But eventually it's going to give you a perspective about your life and show you a path that maybe you didn't know existed. And then you're gonna to come to accept it. And then you're gonna realize that maybe what I'm going through can help other people. And it's about finding stillness and accepting your path in life and, and how you can get the most out of your life when you thought maybe it was, it was all over. And I think that's a great segue into Bobby Hurley. The movie, again, Sound of Metal. It won an Oscar for Best Sound and Best Editing. And I'm a movie guy and geek about it. And those aspects are tremendous. But anyone would love, will love the film. Riz Ahmed was nominated for Best Actor. Uh, and he's brilliant in it. Uh, so there you go. There's my recommendation right off the bat. Uh, again, college basketball starting up in Brooklyn. We had a chance to talk here. It was was a a terrific conversation and one that I was uh, excited to have with Jersey City's own Bobby Hurley here on The Voice of the Nets. So when the Nets are out in Phoenix, I'm on the road with the team. We practice over at Arizona State. And I got to say, I come away every time that I, I want to go to Arizona State when I when I spend some time out there. But now you get back to the East Coast. What is it like coming back to this area? Bring your team to play at Barclays Center. Well, we
1: we had a tough overtime loss at Texas Southern, and uh, but just landing in New York and seeing the buildings and uh, just seeing all the life and the energy and yeah. being back home, it uh, made me forget pretty quick about the loss on Sunday.
0: Yeah, and, and gets you back into the juices of what started you in this game, I would imagine. And and you know that that energy, uh, there's a certain type of player that plays here. You're a product of it. Do you try and and use this as a recruiting area?
1: Well, we uh, we, we have a, a kid signed named Akil Watson. It was Flick Flick this year, 6'9 forward. And we've had other guys from the East Coast and the South. So yeah. we feel like we can recruit nationally.
0: And Hudson Catholic, right? I have a couple of uh, Nets connections there. Broadcaster, Jim Spinarkel, Michael Corin, Hudson Catholic. I know he's one of the, one of your one of your recruits is from there, right?
1: Uh yeah. We have uh, Luther Mohammed, who's uh, who who had eight points for us in our last game, and Lusa from Newark, New Jersey. And uh, I, I always feel better if I got a Jersey guy with me. So <laughs> And you're a Jersey guy, you played obviously, you know, so
0: you, you go and you talk to high school coaches and some of the best coaches in the country are high school coaches and your dad bob senior was one of them and at jersey city at st anthony's and he and you played for him you were a mcdonald's all american before you went on to duke and and you have your son on your team now right and i I was curious to that how how that that delineation between father and coach how that was when you were playing for your dad and how did it influence the way
1: maybe you coach your son? Well, um, just watching my dad growing up, he was the most competitive person I ever saw. Just, uh, he hated to lose. If, if, uh, if we lost a game at St. Anthony, it was like everyone was hiding from him, you know, that night. And, uh, and it rarely happened. Uh, he prepared so well. He was always doing camps in the summer, had an amazing work ethic and love for the game. So that's what I've hopefully passed along to my son. We we watch basketball all the time together. You know, we've we've played together, worked out together. So, like, uh, it's it's a family legacy. And I would think it, it took some mental fortitude on your part. And probably a reason why you
0: were able to perform at such a high level was to to know, like, when you lost, you didn't want to be with it. Like. You have to be mentally strong to, to go through that and want to be coached like that. Some kids might, you know, run the other way. You ever think about that?
1: Yeah, just I, I think when, when I played, I played for my coach, not for my coach to do something for me. You know, I, I wanted to do everything I could to please him, uh, to, to win. And, and that's what drove me. So, you know, making whatever winning plays that you can make and, and trying to be a great leader out there on the floor.
0: And you made winning plays in high school. You go on to make winning plays in college. I'm curious your decision to go play for Mike Krzyzewski and go to Duke and teaming up with Grant Hill and Christian Leitner, becoming one of the more iconic college basketball teams in the history of the sport. Did you have any indication that that could happen when you were with those guys? And was your college experience... Was it elevated or or was it like a normal college experience that you see your kids coaching now and and that process that they go through?
1: I think it's uh, it's different for these kids. There's more pressure, more scrutiny, Uh, social media, like regular people have access to them instantly Mm -hmm. on on, uh, Twitter or, or Instagram where. Like if I had a bad game, it would just be in the newspaper the next day, and uh, didn't have to deal with that external stuff that our guys do. There's, you know, people could be taking a video of them if they're out and about. So it's they have to be careful and uh, have to be a little more guarded with with stuff. But as me, as far as my college time, uh, I was a big East guy growing up, man. I loved uh, those battles with Syracuse and St. John's and Georgetown and Villanova. So those were the kind of schools I was looking at, and then all of a sudden. Duke, I had a great visit and met with Coach K and I saw Christian Leitner playing there so I could throw him the ball. It might work out pretty good for me. And uh, so it was, I just felt a real family environment there. And I just trusted my instincts that I had been around like a legendary coach my whole life. Maybe I could have the right instincts to find another one. Yeah. And Bobby, you know, I want to bring up,
0: you're in college, you get selected to play on this I would say be like a sparring partner for the dream team. And and this was kind of like folklore for many years that you guys actually would go and you beat the dream team. And then the documentary came out about it and it brought it to light and that you were part of this team going up against, you know, Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan and Larry Bird and Karl Malone. I'm fascinated by it. And I would love to know what your perspective was coming into that situation and going to Europe and matching up with those guys. What was your mindset going
1: in to go that gym to play that game with those guys? It was probably about two weeks after we won our second championship, Coach K called me in the office for a meeting. And he that's when he told me you were one of eight guys selected for this uh, development team to, to scrimmage against the Dream Team. And I was like, initially, on cloud nine. I'm like, wow, this is going to be like a fantasy camp type situation. But then when the reality settled in, I realized like, hey, I'm gonna actually have to go out and play these guys. And then you're just concerned about your own survival, you know, and not getting embarrassed out there. So I, I like really wouldn't have been training that hard that time of year, but I was like training like a maniac. I was like biking to my workouts and then working out. So like I was in as good a shape as I ever was going into that thing just out of like self-preservation instincts. <laughs> yeah. And, um, the first day it was, it was funny. It was, you know, we pull up and there was no fanfare. They pulled up on luxury bus and it was hundreds of people screaming for them as they go into the gym. And, and I was trying to justify like, or rationalize how they would be that day. And I was saying, you know, these guys have won everything and done everything in their career. They're probably not going to go that hard today. They're going to kind of <laughs> ease their way into So, man. They were like sharp ball was moving. They were talking. It looked like they had been together forever. So like my anxiety level was even more heightened. <laughs> um, And now like after about an hour of watching this now, it's like you're like going into the Coliseum. It's like about <laughs> yeah. to be slaughtered. But uh, You know, it was—I don't know—we just our youthfulness, our energy, our uh, pretty carefree, maybe nothing to Um, lose—and we just had one of those days. It was—it was amazing to to win that day, but the rest of the week was—it was a massacre in there, like every day. (laughs) Well, you you got their attention, and then
0: uh, and then you got the rest. I want to just shift it here. Now you get drafted by Sacramento, sixth overall pick. What were your dreams and your and your goals?
1: for your NBA career at that moment? Up to that time, like all I had known was winning and won a bunch of championships. And I had gone to three Final Fours. I won four state championships. So I had been on like an incredible run. Um, and that's, that's what I was. How can I help be a part of taking Sacramento Kings franchise? In? And I liked the idea after Duke, uh, because Duke was kind of a blue blood on the, on the cusp when I got there. And they'd already been the final fours, and my and my thinking was, well, this franchise has never really done anything. I'm excited to want to be a part of at the ground level of of building it. So that's kind of where where my thoughts were, you know, going into that season. And then obviously,
0: you know, 19 games in, you have that accident, that horrific car accident in your first year. And just a little perspective on on me, Bobby. But I'm about the same age as you, and right around the same time, I had noticed that physically, I had been getting a my limbs are getting a little skinnier. I was falling. And I was diagnosed with a type of muscular dystrophy called FSHD. Wow. And, wow. you know, I'm I'm a kid trying to break into broadcasting and you're out, out of college and I have all these aspirations. And at first it was my relationship with it was frustration, anger. I'm not going to let this stop me. I'm going to come back and do everything I wanted out of my life. And then as it progresses, you realize, all right, well, maybe my life is going to be a little different than I had envisioned it and then you get older our age and you go well you know maybe I could help a lot of people who are going through this and I'm appreciative for what I have and I've given I've gotten a perspective on it that I may never have gotten otherwise I'm curious your relationship with you know that accident probably cost you whatever goals you had at the NBA your relationship to that accident then and how it's changed over the years and the kind of perspective it's given you
1: yeah. Well, that's a great great story your story and 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 it, it kind of for me it was uh it it gave me a taste of my own mortality in that moment because I can remember as clearly today as I did in the moment of how much pain I was in and how I thought I wasn't going to make it and to be there with a with a teammate and just telling him please tell my family I love them. So like when you know you're that close uh it, it gives you like kind of amazing perspective uh looking back on it people say like oh this got taken away but i i don't know I i feel blessed that i made it you know is, is the first thing and then after that i said why am i entitled to having everything perfect in life like everybody has their own crutch to bear and things they got to work through and fight through and and that was mine and and you know i it's i shouldn't be blessed to to win everything and to it'd be a storybook thing. It's not how life works. And uh, so those circumstances were handed to me. There's no preparation for them. Um uh, There were a lot of physical scars and, and injuries I had. I think the emotional part of the trauma was even harder for me, just uh, even getting back in a car again. And I, I remember a couple of times when I, right after when I first got back in that car, if someone beat the horn at me, I got so upset and shaken up that I'd have to Pull the car over and and just get it together. So there was stuff that you know you have to work through and and handle with it. And uh, I think the frustration of not succeeding was something that uh, was very hard for me to to deal with later in my MBA stages. That you know when when it just wasn't working and uh, to have the support I had helped me to you know, just to get through it. And I know it seemed it would seem so natural when it,
0: when you go through what you're going through and the NBA stuff doesn't work out the way you want it. Between your father being a, a legendary coach, your brother at the time, Danny was in coaching, it would have been a natural thing for you to just go right to coaching. What I know there was a there was a gap there, right? Like you you yeah. went into the horse racing, I believe. And what held up that process of getting you to where you are now and, and starting coaching?
1: Good question. I know that it's not I'm not using the accident again as an excuse, but You know, I had, I had two beautiful daughters, um, that were growing up and I had just finished my last season in the NBA and they were both very young. And my number one priority was them and spending time with them. And, uh, I got to see them, you know, grow up and even my son was a little further down the line, but I still was around in his early years. So to have that flexibility to not have to jump right into something, I think played a role into it. The other part of it was just. I just had an awful taste in my mouth from how my NBA career ended mm-hmm. and I had done basketball my whole life and I felt a little bit burnt out. And and um, so I think taking that time was appropriate looking back on it. I wish I would have jumped in a little sooner because if I ever knew how much what I'm doing now replaced and even exceeded how I felt as a player it's um what I'm doing I feel like impacts so many more people than when I was playing it was just me playing you know and maybe I'm helping my coach and my teammates but now this role is really I think uh been been a blessing for me I mean seeing
0: you on the sideline I mean you're intense but it just seems like that's what you're meant to do and and you know sometimes you have to take a a longer route to get there but um and it's great that you that Maybe what you went through physically gave you that perspective to be with your kids early on, to spend that time. It all it all kind of happens for a reason, doesn't it?
1: I mean, I feel it does. and and all the timing stars align. I mean, I got to work with my brother for three years, two years at yeah. Wagner College and one year of Rhode Island. So, I just, I remember those, those meetings. Uh Some of them weren't always pleasant with Dan because Dan, you know, he, he wants us to get the best recruits and, but just having that time to talk with him and, uh you know, tell stories and talk about basketball and life. I mean, it was like uh, another great, because we had a bunch of years where we weren't around each other. So yeah. that was another great piece, you know, being an assistant and, and uh, so, but I'm excited when, and to be able to do what I'm doing right now. I met Dan a couple of times in
0: college because I had a friend, Gordon Winchester that played for Seton Hall. And um, did you think your brother was going to go into coaching and be as successful as he was going, thinking back on it around then when you were younger?
1: I mean, we, I think we both figured that was where we were going. If we had been in a, Grown up with doctors, maybe we would have went to medical school, or I don't know, engineers. We'd have been yeah. an engineer. But you know, we grew up in a basketball house and watched my dad operate, you know, our whole lives. So it was kind of like what we knew the best and what was, what our passion was most for. So and I saw Dan at St. Benedict's, like he would play in these high school tournaments out in Florida. And I was retired there at the time, and just to watch J.R. Smith and Tristan Thompson and some of the teams he had, he, he I could tell he was on the on the right track. Uh, will uh, Will Dad be at the game in Brooklyn? He will. Yeah, uh, my mom and Dad will be there, and my sister Melissa. So we're excited about that. Uh, you guys didn't bring the band. Did you? You're playing VCU. It's a tough matchup with the bands. <laughs> yeah, no, we we didn't. Uh, it's it's a long it's a long trip for the band. So we uh uh, but but yeah, we'll have we'll have decent support. Uh, I'll I'll have some people. Uh, Luther Muhammad will have a nice crew. So it, it won't yeah. be as much as BCU, but we'll do the best we can.
0: Yeah, no, the BCU band is legendary. It's like going up yeah. against the Dream Team. So yeah, good the good, good <laughs> choice to just kind of sit that one out for the band. Yeah. But uh, otherwise, uh, your 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 outlook on your team, I know sometimes you, you said you're coming off a tough loss. Uh, NBA teams have 20, 25 games to figure it out. That's a season for you. H- have you figured out the identity of your team and how good you're going to be in the Pac-12 this year?
1: I, I think we're getting there. We're uh, we have to improve a little bit offensively. We uh, we struggled at times on Sunday. It was our our first true road game, so uh, they're never easy. Uh, lost a tough game, you know, at the buzzer, basically tip in and overtime. So, just trying to pick up and build the morale of the team uh, and get everyone excited to play in this event. Because I, I told the guys, and we talked about it earlier, man, it's like. This is everyone talks about. Maybe Indiana, New York City is is the birthplace of the game, as far as I'm concerned. And if you could come in here and play well, there's there's no greater feeling. And uh, and so I think we're going to you know, hopefully feed off that energy. But I think we could be a really good defensive team. We're in a in the top ten nationally right now in blocks, and I know it's just early in the season, but we have really good length around the basket. And our transfer guard from Michigan has been really good. Frankie Collins is. Uh, has done some nice things for us. I think he's got a chance to have a really good year.
0: Well, Bobby Hurley, we really appreciate you taking your time. Uh, look forward to seeing you play there against VCU at Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Thanks so much for, uh, for your candor and opening up with us. We appreciate it.
1: Appreciate you.
0: Great talk. All right. That is Bobby Hurley. You can see Arizona State at Barclays Center, part of the Legends Classic. On November 16th and 17th, Arizona State against BCU, Pitt against Michigan. And then November 21st and 22nd, the Empire Classic at Barclays Center. Uh, Syracuse, which you know, packed the building against Richmond. And then you got St. John's and Temple. So that should be a terrific couple of days of basketball there, Empire Classic. And then the uh, Basketball Hall of Fame Invitational on December 11th featuring Rick Pitino and Iona against St. Bonnie's. We already got a, an Adrian Wojnarowski reference, so I'm sure him and Mike Vaccaro and Tim Bontemps, all St. Bonnie's alums will show up if their schedule permits them on December 11th to see St. Bonnie's take on Iona. I'd be very disappointed if those guys were not in the building at Barclays Center for that. You've got Oklahoma State playing Virginia Tech, Maryland and Tennessee and UMass and Hofstra. So great stuff there, December 11th. What a great college basketball schedule in Brooklyn. Fantastic. And that's not even to mention, you got the Atlantic 10 tournament coming up uh, in March at Barclays Center. Uh, I'll leave you with uh, a great, well, I I can't play the song, but uh, the song recommendation for today, talking about what we talked about with Bobby Hurley from, if you know me, I love Frank Turner, the great, I want to say, folk rock punk uh, guy at a london singer songwriter has a song called get better go listen to it and you will feel better thanks to tom Dowd, our producer putting this all together isaac lee our engineer i'm chris carino talk to you next time this has been the voice of the nets